Well, hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, having some technical difficulties in the Morton studio today. But we're going to talk a little bit about reading a soil test. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's going on in your farm, you can certainly give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. Well, I'm expecting to be joined by my co-host Darren just shortly here. But in the meantime, let's talk just a little bit about this whole reading a soil test thing. If you take a look at any one of the soil tests you've ever had done, what I want to ask you here today is, can you read that yourself? Can you make your own soil test recommendations, or soil fertility recommendations? And if not, then I just want you to ask yourself, what do you spend more money on on the farm than fertilizer. I, I just think about our own farm and oh my goodness, we spend a lot of money in fertilizer because we're raising really good yields now. I, I think back and granted, I'm in my mid fifties now, but when I was a young farmer and a young agronomist back, let's call it in my teenage years, my early twenties, I mean, our yields were, I, I mean, at the time they were fine, but they're pathetic compared to what we're talking about today. Right? Same thing for you, I'm sure. If you look back 30 or 40 years ago, you go, wow, I can't believe we ever survived on those kind of yields, right? Well, the reason why I even bring that up is because when you think about all the things that your grandpa and your dad, or maybe it was your grandma or your mother, taught you on the farm, how much of that had to do with fertilizer? Sure, a little bit, I'll bet. But you weren't spending what you are today, 30 or 40 years ago. So I'm just trying to to tell you the importance of this thing just continues to grow. And the reason why I just want you thinking a lot about this and really seriously considering, hey, maybe I need to invest a lot more time understanding this stuff, is because I want you to project things out 20 years 30 years, 40 years down the road. Now, you may say, well, I'm not going to be running the farm then, or I probably won't even be alive then. The point is, on a lot of farms, it's generational. You Again, go back to the things that your grandparents or your parents taught you. Now think about the impact that you have on your kids or your grandkids. And Sure, there are a lot of other things that are important to talking about equipment and weeds and insects and diseases and picking the right varieties and all this kind of stuff. I get that. And it's great to spend time talking to the next generation or the generation after that about all those things. But my whole point is, if you think about how it's changed from the last couple generations to yours, now think about that acceleration continuing a generation or two down the road. And let me add in one other thing. We, as farmers 20, 30, 40 years ago, did not have to deal with all the environmental regulations that are getting thrown at us today, and I can only imagine how much worse that's going to be in the future. Now, as I say worse, I don't mean, oh, I wish there were no regulations and we could do whatever we want, or, 
oh, I don't mind wasting fertilizer and contaminating things and all this other kind of stuff. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm simply saying we're going to have more rules to deal with in the future. And rightfully so. I mean, we have to be more careful when we're going to put on potentially 10 times the amount of fertilizer a generation or two from now compared to what we put on a generation or two ago. So the importance of all this stuff just continues to grow. So let me start you with just a couple of really quick things that are very important that I'm guessing you didn't get in high school or college because I know I did not. The first one is called cation exchange capacity. That should be on your soil test. And I would say on at least half the soil tests we get in today, we don't see that number. The reason why that's important is because over the years we've always said, oh, you have heavy soil or you have light soil or whatever. That's not good enough. The reason why is because it's all relative to your area. Heavy or light means something different to everybody. We want a specific number. That's what cation exchange capacity gives you. It's the amount of clay, the amount, uh, the type of clay, the amount of clay, and the amount of organic matter in your soil. Those are basically the three things that tremendously impact that cation exchange capacity number. So we have to have that to start because that's going to basically tell you how much fertility your soil can hold, and it will give us a general understanding of how far we can push things, how much we need to be split applying, all these leachable nutrients especially. Okay, the the second thing that I would say is soil pH is just tremendously important. Now, it's not the end-all, be-all, but I do want to tell you if your soil pH is outside the range of the sixes, so six to 6.9, then we're starting to get concerned. And it's most likely telling us something is out of balance a little bit in our soil. And we need to figure that out. If the soil pH is too low, then obviously calcium's out of balance, but it could be, hey, we've got magnesium that's too low as well. And some other things, when the soil pH is too high, it could be a wide variety of things. Too much sodium, too much salt, not enough potassium, too much magnesium. So lots of things to go through there. But anyway, during our show today, we are going to talk about reading a soil test. If you want more on this besides today, we'd encourage you to come to an Ag PhD soils clinic this winter. Just go to agphd.com to learn more. But stay tuned. We'll talk reading soil tests right after this. Pasture spraying season is upon us, and your spray window may be longer than you realize. Many weeds like musk thistle and Canada thistle are still able to be controlled after a few light frosts. If you've got some ground that's losing productivity to invasive weeds, turn to proven answers like Weedmaster and Burnmaster from New Farm. Go to newfarm.com forward slash US crop to learn more. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. 
What does it feel like to get all for none? How does all the Thanksgiving turkey with none of the cooking sound? All your football team's highlights with none of the timeouts. We'll do you one better. What about all the benefits of a new Farmall utility tractor with none of the finance cost? Welcome to Farmall A-Days. For a limited time only, gain 0% financing for 48 months or a cashback offer when you invest in select Farmalls this holiday season. There's a reason they call it a Farmall and not a Farm None. Visit caseih.com slash offers to learn more about these special offers running now through December 31st. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about reading a soil test. And next on the show, we've got our friend Rob Dedman with us. He's with Extreme Ag down in Arkansas. Rob, how are things going for you today? Hi, Brian. How are you today? Excellent. Uh, I, our topic today is reading a soil test, though. And we get so many questions about this, and I'm sure you do as well, from other farmers maybe uh, who come up to you and say, hey, what, what are you doing on soil fertility? And then I, I'm guessing you, you probably talk a little about this whole soil test thing. So what are maybe the most common questions that pop up from farmers out there? You know, it's the soil test and, and, and reading a soil test can be, there, there's so many different ways to read them, and there's so many different, you know, labs and, and techniques and theories out there that people have to, to from 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 Neil Kinsey's and Perry Ag Labs from their 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 product to um, the um, the basic, you know, Malik three uh, waypoint Midwest type samples, and and you look at those and. And, and you've got different looks on everybody's stuff. So the biggest one is, is well, I, I had two different labs. You know, this is one of the questions I seems like I get. I sent this one to this lab. I sent this one to that lab, and and nothing looks the same. And you know, so I think it's I think that one of the biggest questions is appearance of what we're trying to read. And you know, and and then I, and then the other question is, you know, why are these values so different? It's you know, uniformity. You know, I say it's uniformity through, you know, repetitiveness. We use the same lab, we're going to get similar results or, or, or results, results we can compare. Yeah, it, that can be a little bit challenging, and I agree with you. If you are staying with the same lab, then y y you have a little better understanding of that, and we want to kind of compare things from that lab and from year to year and, and, and go from there. So let's just take uh, right in your area and the, the, the fields that you're working with. What are probably the maybe top two or three things you commonly see that are deficient and you usually look at the soil test and go, ooh, we got to work on that and we got to work on that now? So that's going to be, you know, typically it's going to be uh, calcium, potash, and boron. If I name the top three, that's going to be the three. Um we're, we're able to maintain soil test phosphorus pretty well uh, using the manures that we use. 
and and so that that works pretty good but 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 keeping the potassium in our in our soils you know they're so light the CECs majority of our CECs are going to be 10 or less so so they're what I consider to be pretty thin soils and they yeah. don't have a lot of nutrient capacity and and so we we struggle with those more leachable type nutrients so boron and potassium, boron especially would be a little more leachable and potassium, but both of those I could totally understand to go right along with your nitrogen and your sulfur. So you got to be constantly putting those on. But how about the calcium? I, I mean, what what's leading to having to continuously put calcium on? You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I tend to, 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 to blame that on, on, on high yields and lots of fertility. Yeah. Um, you know, we we do use a lot of surface water when we irrigate, so therefore we're 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 washing a lot of calcium out of the soils, and and you know, do we wash it out horizontally or are we washing it out vertically? And I you know I tend to say we we push that calcium deeper in the profile a lot of the time, and and get it out of the the, the primary root zone. So what else on the soil test? When it, when you get it, I assume then you're looking at those three nutrients: calcium, boron, potassium. What else do you look at, like right away? Like, uh, okay, I got to make sure I'm checking this immediately. You know, when I look at zinc, um, zinc and phosphorus, you know, I'm always wanting to know uh, how much phosphorus is in the soil, and I and I always want to know do I have enough zinc to to manage the phosphorus that I have. So I'm looking at zinc. I always look at sulfur. And I and I don't know why because I already know I'm gonna be deficient in sulfur. You know, I mean, I, I keep numbers, yep. sulfur numbers in single digits, and, and I'm, I'm like, okay, so why, why do you even look at it? But it's it's kind of like you always have those things. It's like Christmas morning when you get those soil tests. Okay, <laughs> yep. what if I got? You know, let me open this package and see what I've got. And and um, it's you know you always key in as, as an agronomist. You're keying in on certain things, and you know pH. Uh, when you see pH, you're automatically looking at calcium, and then you look at your magnesium. You know, for the calcium I have, how's the magnesium? Am I high? Am I low? And, and we tend to see a lot of times that 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 we are in our uh, higher CEC soils, we're going to be very high magnesium. Our lower CEC soils, we're going to be very low magnesium. So you know, you you got those key things that you always focus in on when you the, when you first get those soil samples back. Okay. With these soil test results, then, that you look at, one of the things we've started taking a lot closer look at is our ratios, especially you met, you brought up zinc and phosphorus. So is that something you're also looking at? And I don't know what lab you're using or anything. Do they put a ratio right on the test, or is it basically just all parts per million stuff? You know, I get all of that back, and in, in, in the way I do mine is I run them through a, a computer program that I have. And um, so I'm basically getting back uh, spreadsheets of, of data. And when you look at those reports, they don't always have the phosphorus to zinc ratios on there. Uh, it's easy to it's easy to get on there, and we can look at them. But um, you know, I, I'm primarily going off of you know through the calculations of when I do the variable rate work and all, and and I'm we're trying to variable rate some of these 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 more expensive micros. And putting to make sure we get the right amount, the right place, you know, all the time. So, you know, keeping those ratios are important, and you know, it's, it's we just have to calculate a lot of those out. 
Okay, so then that brings me to the next question, since you said variable rate. You can only do that if you pull multiple samples in a field. So how do you break it up? Are you going with grids or zones, and what size grids or zones are you using? Uh, it seems to be a popular topic with me because I'm, 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 a, <laughs> I'm an absolute grid sampling person. I'm, I'm one of those that I was raised under the philosophy that, that more data points give you better data. Uh, helps you make better decisions. Yep. And, you know, although I get, I understand zone sampling, I always seems like I feel like there's variability within zones. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I, I like grids. Um, I, I personally, I like two, two and a half acre grids. Yep. Um, and, and you know, and those are my big grids. And, and then down from there, you know, I tell farmers that I reserve the right when I'm pulling samples to, to, to call the size of the grid. If I want to, you know, if, if I want to go down to a one-acre grid to find a problem in a field for a farmer, then, then I want to be able to do that. And, 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 and I have done that, and you can get really definitive maps doing that. Is that necessary every time? No, it's not. But, but there have been cases where we've, we've done them on two-acre grids and, not, and thought we saw a problem, and then turn around and go to it the exact same year, do it on a one-acre grid, and really define that problem. So, you know, it's, I'm a grid sampling person. So, I like a lot of data. So what would make you go from two or two and a half down to one? What, what like in your area, is a problem where you say, ooh, we got to do one-acre grids here? You know, I, so it, it's just a lot of different things. You know, we have a lot of problems with, with root knot nematodes. And, and, and I have to be careful when I'm looking at yield maps to make sure that what I'm looking at could be a nutrient problem yep. or could it be a nematode problem. Yep. Because, you know, different years, different times, and those nematodes, different crops, those nematodes are going to move around in that field. And and so that's a lot of times that's what you'll do. And um, I, one specific example stands out is, is I had a cotton crop one time that, that was really phosphorus deficient in uh, the mid part of the field and couldn't figure out for nothing what was going on. And I knew we had plenty of phosphorus. Well, we... We ran it on uh, one-acre grids that fall, <clears throat> and come to find out what was happening was the majority of our phosphorus was leaching towards the drains in the field from the winter flooding and stuff. So we had these high concentrations, of, and, and, and it drew a perfect map of it. So that that's, I'm, I'm using it when I really can't totally yeah. put my finger on a problem. That's oh, hey, Rob. Yep. Awesome story. Hey, Rob, thanks. We'll be right back. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Now is the time to head into your local CNB. Find out about the great deals CNB has to offer on new and used John Deere equipment. Stop into your local CNB and visit with their team of experts or shop online at deerequipment.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. 
My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today in the show, we're talking about reading a soil test. And next on, we've got Bill Brush. He's a consultant out in California. Hey, Bill, how are things going for you out in California today? Oh, we've got a beautiful, sunshiny day with a little cloud cover and about, and I don't want to make you feel bad, about 67 degrees. Isn't that about every day out there, though? <laughs> you wished it was, but, <laughs> but no rain, trust me. The rain's what we're really depending on, but yeah, yeah so, uh, so great day so far. All right, we're talking about how to read a soil test today. Can I just assume that a lot of the people you're working with rely on you to read their soil tests and they don't do it themselves, or how's that work in your area? In my area, anybody who's worked with me, uh, uh, in full uh, disclosure, I'm 100% aligned with Dr. William Albrecht and, and Neil Kinsey, and also my soil samples go through Perry Ag Lab. That, that's just a given. I haven't sent anything anywhere else for 25 years. Uh, one, it's the best, in my opinion. There are other good labs, don't get me wrong, but if you're going to pick a lab, make sure you just stay with it because you want to get consistent results. So that's essential. But what I've done with uh, the way I've done is they look to me to understand what's in their soil and give them a recommendation that that's going to be most critical with taking in, which I always tell people, if, if you don't put economics into your recommendations, that's essentially malpractice. Okay. You got to put what your crop is, what the potential is, 
and then prioritize those things that are absolutely essential and then go to those other things that may not be in a budget and find ways that we can help into those into the, the system. So, uh, but I start with a soil test, a basic soil test that they put through uh, Perry Ag Lab and through Neil Kinsey, Kinsey Ag Service. And what I look for first, this may not be whatever, but this is the way I view a soil test. The most important thing you see on that soil test is the exchange capacity. Uh, if you've never seen that soil, just by looking at the exchange capacity, I know are we de- dealing with a pure sand, a light sandy loam, kind of a loamy sand, or am I dealing with a clay or heavy clay? Uh, I can de- understand that all from that, basically where the exchange is, and that that exchange is going to be very close to the same year in, year out, because I trust the soil test. Having said that, I also know when I look at that exchange, if I have one, a soil that is really not balanced, and we'll talk about balance in just a minute, the thing I learned first or learned first about this is if I have a heavy soil, it's going to take me a long time to get that where I want it if it's out of balance. Yep. It's just a lot of moving parts that I have to address to, uh, to get that. Okay, on a sandy soil, the good news is I, I can fix it rapidly. The bad news is it'll change rapidly over time because there's more sand, less clay particles, so less holding capacity for water and nutrients. So understanding what that exchange capacity, because all of our numbers, where we want calcium, where we want magnesium, where we want potassium, are all directly related to that exchange capacity. So, so once I've got a feel for that, that particular soil through looking at that exchange, the next thing I want to look at is pH. And not because pH is important or not important, but it leads me to the base saturations. And if I have a low pH, I automatically know that hydrogen has displaced something, and so something's got to be missing. Yep. And if I have a pH of 6.5, which I think is ideal, and I've seen terrible soils at 6.5, I've seen great soils at 6.5. <laughs> but when I look at that, if I've got no hydrogen, that means something's taking up the normal space of hydrogen, so I have too much of something. Now my mind is set, I know what kind of soil I have, I know what's either missing, that something's missing, and then I go about what I need to find. And what a lot of people don't look at is the value of getting calcium magnesium right. Your nutrients become much more plant available because what we do, if you get down to it, it's all about the biology. And until you get your soil balanced and getting a proper amount of flocculation due to calcium and getting air into that soil and getting its ability to uh, give that, as Dr. Albrecht put, give it the house for the biology to thrive in, you never get the full effect. You will always be putting on more nitrogen than you need because even though you need to put the nitrogen you're putting on, you'd be more efficient if you had your calcium where it needs to be. So out in your uh, area, you talk- out, out in your area with some of those lighter soils, you probably are somewhat short on magnesium. What do you use for a source for magnesium out there? You know, it, it's, it's kind of interesting when you say that. You know, I've, I've got some light sandy soils, and I'm talking about less than six or seven. Uh, they still have enough, too much magnesium. Hmm. Uh Sometimes it's a function of what you do. A lot of people don't look at water as a source, but it's the biggest source potentially of magnesium or calcium or or sodium that true. you could possibly put on at any time. Yeah, that's so true. So they're adding to your to your nutrients. 
So you can have it in anything. And that's, that's the, I guess that's at, at, at my age, it's the thing that keeps me going. It's always interesting. Uh, I'm always like a, the guy said, opening a, a, when I get a new soil or a new field, it's like opening up a Christmas present. What the heck's in this? And what's it going to be like? And it just gets you uh, a lot of enthusiasm to, to fix it. And what's, what, why is it where it's at? You know, I, I challenge people all the time that try to chase pH. If you're out here where we pump a lot of water and, and you're looking at a water that a pH is a, of, you know, uh, 7.8, 8.2, and you think you're successfully going to, to acidify that enough to keep your pH down at 6.5, it's a fool's errand. You need to understand how much water you're actually putting on and then understanding different ways to make nutrients available. And it's a, it's a long discussion, but, but getting back to the soil samples, you got to get that balance. Everybody wants a ratio. Well, a good ratio for a light sand is, is uh, three to one. But a good range uh, or a good number for heavier clay is almost seven to one. Yep. So what is the ratio? Don't worry about it. Understand where you want that base saturation to be for the exchange capacity you have. Don't worry about the ratio of where this is to that. Uh, so I look at getting calcium magnesium lined up first. Once I get to that, I go to what the, you know, if you look at the, the soil sample, we don't necessarily do all of our nitrogen, but I do like to look at where that organic matter is because it tells me how much, and I don't claim to say it's free, but what is going to be reached from that is free that I can put into my equation. Yep. To, to feed the crop to the level it needs to be. After I've done that nitrogen and how much I want for the crop I'm desiring, I go to phosphorus, make sure I have substantial, you know, excellent phosphorus is great. At least adequate is what I got to have to have a successful crop. And then finally, sell on potassium, and everybody's short of potassium. And you know why? Most expensive thing you're going to put on. So it's one of the last things you want to spend a lot of money on because it'll blow the whole budget if we put on what we need. So we have to understand how much do I need for the crop I'm doing. And then once I get to that, I go to sulfur because sulfur is going to leach because it's an anion in the sulfate form. And I'm always going to push it through the soil, hopefully. And then I go to micronutrients and I always end up there because there's a lot of ways to do things with micronutrients in terms of chelates and foliars that I may not amend the soil, but I can make a great crop out of getting enough because they do call them micro for a reason, because the plant doesn't need much of them. Bill, I hear the passion in your voice, and one of the things <laughs> that you brought up right away was economics is one of the big things you got to always take a look at. I agree with you 100%. We've thought a lot differently about soil testing with high yields and high crop value than we did when stuff was, I mean, our yields were low, everything was cheap. You just, you couldn't afford much fertility back then. Well, now there are a lot of things we can't afford. And boy, if we do that right, uh, we're going to have tremendous profit on the farm. Hey, Bill, we got to get running, but thank you so much for being on the show. This was fantastic stuff. And we hope to have you on again soon. You bet. Always, always fun to talk to you and your audience. I'll see you soon. Yep. Thanks again. That's Bill Brush. He's a consultant out in the state of California. All right. We're going to continue talking just a little bit about reading a soil test. I'll kind of run through some of the key things we look at. Uh, that's coming up next. We'll also get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. Stay tuned. This is Ag PhD Radio. 
My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. Sand the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. There's a lot to sort through. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Thursday, January 12th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. You put everything you've got into securing the next generation of your farm. So why not take it a step further? Commodity Classic is America's largest farmer-led, farmer-focused educational and agricultural experience, where you'll find thought-provoking education, a huge trade show with the latest ag technology, and networking with thousands of farmers who are preparing for the next generation just like you. Join us in Orlando March 9th through 11th, 2023. Learn more at commodityclassic.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, broadcasting today from the Morton Studio, talking about reading a soil test. If you've got any questions for us about this, you can give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So a little while ago, I mentioned that we do have a soils clinic coming up this winter. If you want to go to agphd.com, and right under our events tab, you can see that we are doing that. It's actually going to be a two-day soils clinic. And I realize you might go, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I can even handle one day, but two days? Come on. Seriously, though, this is such a big deal, the whole soil testing thing, 
reading a soil test, making your own recommendations. And even if you say, well, look, I want to rely on somebody else for that, a consultant or fertilizer dealer or whatever, it's still important to know these things so you can just have better, more informed discussions with whatever person you are using as your trusted advisor there. So I would encourage you, take a couple days in January, come to, to see us, on our farm, we have a huge facility right at our Ag PhD Field Day site, the Morton Center, and we're going to spend a couple of days talking soil tests. Now, there is a live stream option as well, so you can just go to, again, agphd.com to learn more about all that. Also, in February, there is a paid workshop if you want to come and hear Neil Kinsey. There's also a live stream option for that as well. But Neil's going to be here for three days. There are a number of his consultants who are going to be here with him. Uh, Tim Reinbot is going to be here as well as Darren and myself. So we're going to go through soil testing stuff for three days. So I'd say the difference there with the first one that we're doing, the free Ag PhD Soils Clinic, and it's free if you attend in person. Uh, with that, we're going to kind of run through everything you would need to know on a soil test and how to actually read your soil tests and make decisions on that. With Neil and his seminar, his three-day seminar that'll be in February, I'm not saying that he won't do any of that, but what he does do is really goes deep into calcium, into magnesium, into each of these individual nutrients to help you understand them a little bit better, why they're important, what role they play in your overall production and kind of go from there. So anyway, a couple of great opportunities for you if you want more education on soil fertility, on how to read a soil test, and all the things we're talking about today, just in a lot more detail. Okay, so for the next few minutes, I guess I just wanted to run through how we would go through and read a soil test. And Yes, this is just the quick version of it. But what I always tell people is it's going to be very intimidating if you don't know how to read a soil test and somebody hands you a soil test and you go, okay, well, now figure it out. So what we always tell people to do is just break it down. Take one thing at a time. Where I always like to start is with soil pH. And what we're looking for ideally is we want that pH to be in the sixes. Then we take a look at cation exchange capacity. And I appreciated the fact that Bill Brush said that's, for him, the first thing he looks at. Whether it's first or second, it's got to be right up there. Because we need to understand, is this a heavy soil or a light soil? What we'll typically tell people is, if your cation exchange capacity number is 10 or less, that's a light soil. If it's 20 or more, to us, that's a heavy soil. So right away, we have a pretty good understanding of what our soil can truly hold for nutrients. Next, we take a look at soil organic matter. Now, this is important, and it goes into cation exchange capacity and how much of everything your soil can hold. But the other big reason we like to know that number for organic matter is because your soil, every single year, can release some free nitrogen, sulfur, and phosphorus. Well, when it does that, um, it, it's nice to at least have an idea of how much you're going to get. So, for example, like in our area here, we're going to figure at least 20 pounds of nitrogen for every 1% of organic matter. There are some soils around us that are between 5 and 7% organic matter. So just think about that for a second. That means 100 to 140 pounds minimum on free nitrogen every year. So if you're raising, let's call it 200 bushel corn, and you just say, wow, everybody says I got to put 200 pounds of nitrogen out for 200 bushel corn, I would say you're, com 
you're, you're overspending on your nitrogen. And not only that, I, I want to go back to something that we talked about just a little bit earlier with the environmental side of this whole thing. This is a big reason why it's so important to know what's in your soil. Because if I see, boy, I got a 5% organic matter on our farm, which we do have some of. I'm, I'm cutting back the nitrogen there because I know I'm going to get a bunch for free out of the soil. So it's great for my pocketbook. My yield's the same. But the other side of it is now there's less environmental concern. And we as farmers all have to be thinking about that, especially as we move forward and want to put more fertilizer on. So beyond that, we look at base saturation next, and that's the ratio of sodium, hydrogen, calcium, magnesium, and potassium to each other. The biggest thing we see in our heavy soils in the upper Midwest is the lack of potassium. And a lot of people say, oh, I can't afford to put potassium on. And I, 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 Bill Brush did say that too. Hey, it's going to be expensive. You might blow your whole budget on it, but at least you need to understand, okay, what am I trying to get to? Where do I need to be now? And what's, what's that whole picture look like? So a couple of years ago when potassium was dirt cheap, we loaded up on our farm. I mean, we put on a ridiculous amount, but it was cheap. And my goodness, did that pay off. So anyway, just things for you to think about. We then go into nitrogen, phosphorus, sulfur, and all the different micronutrients. But we just try to take things one step at a time and go from there. Okay, a few last things. First thing I'll mention is variability in fields. If you are still composite sampling, where basically you're taking a few soil cores around your entire field, mixing them all together, uh, it's it's slightly better than nothing, but it's tremendously misleading. Because the way I look at it is, if I just have the average for the whole field, well, that tells me that in half the field, I'm going to underfertilize, and half the field, I'm going to overfertilize. And when I overfertilize and when I underfertilize, in both cases, it's probably going to hurt yield. And when I overfertilize, obviously, I'm overspending. So we went, we ended up going to one acre soil test grids. And I'm not saying you have to do one acre or do it every year like we do, but I am saying at least one time in your farming career, you need to do one acre grids or one acre zones. And the reason why is because now you're going to be able to identify the variability that's out there in your field. That then gives you the chance to even things out, and now you could potentially go back to larger grids or zones. But if you don't do this at least one time, you're going to be missing out. And when I started actually running the numbers on our farm a few years ago, when crop prices got good and fertilizer got really expensive, it's like, whoa, um, I can't afford not to do this. So just at least be thinking about it. And if you don't believe what I'm telling you, then just take a field, any field, I don't care. Take a field, soil test it the way you normally would, and then same year, same time, same field, do one acre grids in that field, and then just compare the two, and then start running the numbers on fertility over the next however long between the next time you soil sample, maybe it's two years, maybe it's four years, run the numbers on what you're going to put out there for fertilizer and run the numbers on what you could potentially gain or lose for yield. And I think you'll find out, um, it, again, it doesn't have to be one-acre grids, but at least one time do one-acre grids, and then you can go to two-and-a-half or five or whatever after that if you want. But I, I think you'll see that, especially with today's economics, it's probably going to pay, it's probably going to pay pretty well. Last thing. Compare your soil test to yields. That has been a complete 
game changer on our farm. Unbelievable the information that we have learned from that. It's not that difficult to do. You just need to soil test using GPS points. I don't care if your grids or zones, I don't care the size of your grid or zone, doesn't matter. You just go right to the GPS point, you pull soil cores right around that point, and then you compare that to your yield in that same point. So obviously the more data you have, the more beneficial this is going to be, the more impactful, the more you're going to be confident in the data. But now we've got five years worth of data on our farm, and each of those five years we've had over 2,000 grid points. So I have a tremendous amount of data, and it's telling me some very interesting things. Like I go back to that potassium thing, uh, night and day difference, 2% base saturation K versus 4%. The yield gain, tremendous. I can afford really high-priced potassium and in one year even raise my soil test K level. All right, we'll get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. That's coming up next. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact eMERGE planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. What does it feel like to get all for none? How does all the Thanksgiving turkey with none of the cooking sound? All your football team's highlights with none of the timeouts. We'll do you one better. What about all the benefits of a new Farmall utility tractor with none of the finance cost? Welcome to Farmall A-Days. For a limited time only, gain 0% financing for 48 months or a cashback offer when you invest in select Farmalls this holiday season. There's a reason they call it a Farmall and not a Farm None. Visit caseih.com slash offers to learn more about these special offers running now through December 31st. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. 
To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. We have a lot of questions today in the Ag PhD mailbag, but what I did since we were talking fertility today is I pulled out as many fertilizer questions as I could. So this first one comes from Scott. He says, I just want some clarification on your fertilizer removal app. My example for a question is when corn grain, and by the way, I'm pulling this up on my phone here. Uh, It's a free download, the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app. Anyway, he says, my example for a question is when corn grain is harvested with the stover left in the field, is the amount of K2O removed from a 200 bushel crop 50 pounds or 270 pounds? Okay, so I just pulled up corn, 200 bushel on my on my phone. It says K2O potassium, the grain takes 50 pounds. So it takes 50 pounds to, to produce the grain, and that will leave the field with the grain. It takes 220 pounds to produce the stover. If you're leaving all the stover out there, that 220 pounds will stay. And by the way, that's K2O potassium. That is not potash. That is actual K2O potassium. So uh, so anyway, hopefully that uh, that takes care of your question there, Scott. So no, you don't have to worry. It's not the full 270 if you're leaving all that residue in the field. All right, next question. Dave from Michigan says, micronutrients. I got a few questions. A little background. Our rotation's corn, soybeans, wheat. Every three to four years, a field is wheat and grid sampled and VRT applied. I noticed this year we're finally getting to fields for a third time. We only needed about eight tons on 230 acres of wheat stubble, so I believe P and K are getting built up nicely. However, this leads me to believe our yield limiting factor most years is micronutrients. We haven't applied manure in 25 years. My hope is to develop a fertility program in which I can put micros out through the planter. That is a dry fertilizer setup. My questions are with this, this rotation. What micros I can and I should put through the planter? Well, Dave, I would say you can put any micronutrient through the planter. It's just if it is, let's say, sulfur or quite a bit of boron or something like that, you got to be a little careful about where you're putting it. If you're two by two, we used to do a bunch of dry fertilizer four by four. Um, it's great. You can put anything out you want enough to raise that crop. So there, there really shouldn't be any problem. Uh, but if it's in the furrow, then you have to be really careful about the rate that you're putting on. And, and if it's falling on the seed, it, it can be a little touchy with some of these micros. All right. Anyway, he says, is it possible to put enough non-leachable micros to last three to four years? Well, you can, but you're going to want that a little bit further away from the seed. So that gets to be potentially problematic. Uh, I don't, think I would do it that way personally. I think I'd just try to put on what I need for that year and go from there. But his final question here is this. What nutrients will have to be broadcast and when is the proper time to broadcast micros? Well, the heavier your soil, the more, um, the, the less you have to worry about this. Where I'm going with this is, let's take boron, for example. Boron's fairly leachable. If I had a super light, sandy soil, then I got to put it on every single year, and I might even have to put it on two or three times per year because I'm so worried about leaching. The heavy ground we have that we farm, we can put enough boron out there for a couple of years, and we're just fine. And we like to broadcast those 
the, the nutrients that move fairly well through the soil, like nitrogen, sulfur, and, and boron, uh, you don't have to, but you can, all right? I, and I bring that up because if I think about phosphorus and potassium, those are the nutrients that we gain so much by banding. And quite frankly, zinc and copper, they're also quite immobile in the soil. So you'll gain more by banding. In other words, you got a better chance to get those taken up in the short term. So I, I would just say for many of these micronutrients, you talk about zinc and copper especially, um, if I can band them, great. I just don't want to get too carried away on things. Here's the other way that I look at this. When I'm putting stuff on through the planter, we like to feed the crop for one year. If I'm in a broadcast, if I've got heavy soil, or even if I don't have heavy soil, if I have like the immobile nutrients like zinc and copper, I don't care. I'll put enough out there for several years. But I will say there are there is a ratio thing that we want to look at all the time with phosphorus to zinc and phosphorus to copper. So when you bring up manure, um, and granted, in your case, if it hasn't been applied for 25 years, then I'm expecting your P and your K aren't super high or anything like that. But let's say your phosphorus was really high, and you don't have hardly anything out there for zinc. If you just do some banding with the planter, it might be okay, but it may not be enough. That's the situation we ran into on our farm, where we were basically putting enough micros out what we thought for the crop, but we had some of these nutrients so far out of balance on our farm, we needed to broadcast, get them back into balance, and kind of go from there. So I will also say we really like using liquid when we're banding uh, with a planter. It's very easily, readily available. Um, I, I like that. Just use a low-salt product. When we're broadcasting, typically we're running dry. It's, it's less expensive, and we can then invest some money for let's call it a three to five year period and i it's it's not nearly the cost all right next question here uh or actually a comment we we're talking about side dressing corn and i apologize i don't have a name on this one but it says uh this person says it all boils down to mother nature you can have the perfect amount of nitrogen in the soil but without rain and heat from the sun well you know what you get so how do you moderate the nitrogen amount with the weather the way i see it i get lucky or i don't well to some degree yes you get lucky or you don't but it's still really important to understand that soil like i was talking about with soil organic matter if you know you're going to get a bunch for free then why would you put it on and this is also a big reason why a lot of people like to side dress because at that point they have a better idea if they're going to have a good crop or not. So, yeah, I, I, there's always going to be some amount of luck or, as uh, many would say, uh, blessings from God uh, to get that rain or not. We don't know when that's going to happen uh, or if it's going to happen. We just have to do the best that we can. And let me say one other thing here when it comes to just nutrients in general. If you can balance the nutrients in your soil, and so you have a balanced amount and an ample amount of fertility in your soil, your crop will use less water. That's a proven fact. The reason why is because if the crop runs short on any one nutrient, it's going to start pulling more water in. You've made your crop a water waster because it's trying to pull nutrients in. It doesn't care about the water. It's just trying to pull the nutrients in. So that's the number one reason why we want to make sure we've got that, that fertility thing dialed in right in those droughty areas. 
All right, next one comes from Brandon. He says, wondering your thoughts on putting urea down with a strip-till machine, wondering what's the max I should put down, uh, six to eight inches deep. I picked up some new ground and would like to strip-till the fertilizer in the spring. Uh, South Central Minnesota, can exchange capacity 17 to 26. So the CEC is really the big thing, Brandon. We don't want to go more than 10 times the CEC. So if I've got a 17, I take 17 times 10, that's 170. If I say, let's say your soil test shows you got 40 pounds left in the soil, I'm going to take 170 minus 40, and I'm going to put on 130 pounds. That's the most I would put on and feel comfortable about it. But if you want to put urea down with a strip-till machine, you certainly can. I don't have any issue with that. Uh, it's just <laughs> spring is the key, and I'm glad you brought up spring. I would not want to do that in the fall. There's just a lot more risk for loss. Okay, uh, next one comes from AM asking, if we want to ban fertilizer, is all we uh, should we be mixing all the fertilizers together and placing it like two by two or deep band, or do we have to place these nutrients separately? Well, I would just say it depends on what you're trying to put out, and that was what we were talking about just a couple minutes ago with things like boron and sulfur. You have to worry a lot more about seed safety than you would with, let's say, I got a manganese chelate. So a lot of times what we do for safety's sake is we prefer to have it two by two or deep band. If you want to put a little bit in furrow, you can. Just keep the salt really low and be careful about what, what fertilizers you're using. Okay, um, next one is, is from Scott. He says, hey, with liquid fertilizer, have you seen less crop removal of P and K from the soil? No, we have not. Uh, anyway, he, he says here, I just added liquid fertilizer to my program. I've been working many years with uh, uh, increasing fertility in my soil, applying dry fertilizer and heavy manure with slow results. With 1034-0, should I add K to help feed the plants? Um, look, I, I don't know what your soil test says. So that's the reason why it's hard for me to tell you, oh, for sure add K. But as a general statement, yeah, most crops do need a lot of potassium so you're going to need some K somehow some way and then finally here he says on solid dairy manure reports it states NPK also moisture do I figure the application with or without moisture well you're going to have to figure it with the moisture in there because that's how you're applying it that's the actual applied thing so anyway that that's what I would take a look at there thanks for the question Scott appreciate it all right, before we go, just want to say thanks to my sister Janelle. She was producing the show and uh, got us through our technical issues as we started the day. Uh, thanks to everybody who called in. Thanks to everybody who wrote in with questions. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.